0: hi welcome to the nascar nbc podcast i'm your host nate ryan joined by nascar nbc analyst steve latart we're talking here on the morning after tyler reddick's win at kansas speedway uh, if you're watching on the youtube version you can see i'm still in monterey california steve at his home in the charlotte area so steve i watched this race with one eye on the indycar season finale here at laguna seca raceway so Uh, I'm somewhat up to speed on what happened at Kansas, but I'm going to need you to bring me fully up to speed and bring our listeners fully up to speed. So let's start with Kansas, because I think we put a graphic up at some point toward the end of this race where we showed that aside from, I think, the 2016 race, every playoff race at Kansas has spelled trouble for playoff contenders. I think at least half the playoff contenders in every race except 2016 at Kansas have had trouble, have had issues. And I know you've been around as long or much longer than I have, but I can think back to when Kansas opened in 2001. This track's always been treacherous. What would you say just about Kansas Speedway? And why is a mile and a half track almost become such a wild card race in the playoffs.
1: Well, I want to thank God's flow because since he locked, uh, locked the championship <laughs> up a little bit early, I didn't have to watch a uh, Seca with one eye as I was watching Kansas. And if you get are trying to get sympathy for me that you are, quote, <laughs> still in Monterey like it's a bad thing, um, you're barking up the wrong tree, nearly heaven on earth, uh, Monterey Peninsula. So Kansas in general, this is how I look at it. You know, we did a thing with the playoff drivers a couple weeks ago before we went to Darlington. One of our producers, Joel Maddox, said, hey, give words of wisdom for each track. I'm going to see what the drivers have to say. And my word at Kansas was don't be complacent. And the reason I say that is because it looks so benign. Even from the booth, you walk out and it is a very symmetrically shaped, smoothly laid out Kansas Speedway. But it's this magical mix of high speed and low grip that I think it just begs drivers and teams to dance so close to the edge whether it's the right front right rear tire failures we saw I'm assuming now Truex's I think was a puncture the other ones late in a run you would assume or maybe due to lower air pressure some setup items uh, but that's because those generate good speed and when it comes to the drivers themselves What looks easiest in life sometimes is the most difficult, and that's what Kansas is, right? It's a track that you can ride around and have no trouble, but you're going to run a lap down or two because to be good there, you are really on the edge of grip. The restarts are crazy, and pit Road, you know, look, we can't talk about it enough. We're watching this in, in, um, in those Super Motocross playoffs, riders experiencing the playoff pressure for the first time. This is new to their discipline, it's not new to NASCAR. We've had playoffs for quite some time. And the simple fact is, we make a lot about the drivers and the pressure on them. And perhaps we don't make enough about the pressure on everyone, the crew chief, the spotter, the pit crew, because the issues are everywhere. I mean, they're up and down pit road, they're up and down the grid, they're up and down on restarts. And I attribute it to really the pressure in Kansas in general, just begs you. It's like just just taunts you to go a little too far on anything. Pit stop speed, tire pressure, you know, arrow setup, driver decisions. And on the other side of that are mistakes.
0: You're right. We've seen two races now with a lot of mistakes, Darlington and Kansas. And I'm glad you brought up that don't be complacent because it's this cool feature that, as you mentioned, Joel Madak, one of our NASCAR NBC producers did that we're, I think people are going to see throughout the playoffs where you gave him sort of a mantra for each track if you're a crew chief telling your driver hey here's the mantra for this track and i was in the room when we asked all the playoff drivers that and i think they all got it immediately about kansas don't be complacent and so uh, the concept there is that you maybe get lulled into a false sense of security because mile and a half tracks traditionally have been places where sometimes you ride for a little bit but Especially this year, the next gen car mile and a half tracks, it feels like it's been a game changer for these types of speedways. But then another layer on top of that is drivers, even if they feel that false sense of security, they have to try to avoid it in a place like Kansas. Because like you said, we saw it yesterday with all the tire issues. It's a place where it can bite you. And especially now with the next gen and how it's married to these mile and a half tracks.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's a myriad of issues. I can go through them. I have them here. The one car, Ross Justine, had a pick remember over the wall too soon at lap 168. Uh, the 12 had to retighten the left front tire at lap 83. The 17 has an extra stop at lap 67 for a loose wheel and then loses the right rear near the end of the race. The 19, so listen, Darlington, I think there were some team mistakes there. There truly is bad luck at times. And the idea of these systems is that you don't have mistakes on top of bad luck. And that's what's happened to the night team in this round. I know we're going to talk about them. Flat tire early. The 20 has a new pit crew with no better, I mean, no better pit stops. They're, they had to jack the right side up a couple of times, retighten the right rear. 23 has a flat. 24 splins out. 34 wrecks the two, damages his car a little bit. The 47 gets in the wall. I mean, This is one race. Now, I'm not highlighting the playoffs. I'm highlighting Kansas with that list. Yeah, The one constant in the playoffs has been Denny Hamlin. Um, His team, and now this is a team sport, so I don't separate them. The 11 group had a loose wheel at Darlington, eliminating a potential win. Um, And now Denny was snoozing on the restart, eliminating a potential win. But they have brought what I call... You know playoff performance. The five of Kyle Larson, much the same. So two weeks now, the five and the 11 have brought what I thought is next level. Everybody says the postseason is the best. Step up for the postseason. All these buzzwords. Well, guess what? They are bringing it. They are bringing, what is it? It's the prime effect from Colorado, right? Dion has got his team. Two and oh, making magic at college football. Everybody's following him, and what he is saying is is amazing things. And it's really what we're seeing out of the 11 and five, right? They are showing up when it matters.
0: Yeah, Larson won Darlington and probably had the best car at Kansas. Uh, and unfortunately, kind of got snookered on strategy in the final restart. And like you said, Hamlin right there as well. But you brought up the 19, Martin Truex Jr., well, Christopher Bell as well wins the poll and then has these pick crew issues. But let's talk Martin Truex Jr., Stevie, because now has a chance, the dubious distinction of possibly being the first regular season champion to miss the second round, to be eliminated in the first round. NASCAR's had this playoff system since 2017. They've had this type of point structure where regular season champion gets this huge playoff point bulge. Martin Truex Jr. came in with 36 playoff points that were transferred to each round. And now he's essentially squandered them all. The 19 of Martin Truex Jr. is now seven points below the cut line heading into the cutoff race at Bristol after an 18th at Darlington, a 36th at Kansas. What's gone wrong here, Steve? Because on playoff media day, Martin Truex Jr. struck me as having more confidence than maybe anybody. He made a point of saying like the last time we won the regular season championship, We won the championship 2017. We came in with a huge playoff point bulge. He seemed more confident than we've usually seen Truex, who tends to be that low-key, humble type of guy. But I heard him say it about Darlington this weekend at Kansas that he felt like he didn't do a good job at Darlington telling the team, we're not where the car needs to be, that we had some incidents in practice, we didn't get repaired right for the race. I didn't do a good job there. And then Kansas, it just they have one of those tire issues that everybody has. Like how did the 19 team get to this place where they're on the brink of being eliminated as a regular season champion?
1: So how did we get here and where do they go is really the two sides of this conversation that I think needs to be had. You set the stage great about where the 19 entered the playoffs. Darlington practice was not very good, issuing qualifying start in the back made up decent ground in stage one, but were just never okay. And listen, I know Martin wants to put it on himself that the car was never that good, but he had to pit twice for a loose wheel. He pitted an extra time in the middle of stage two, and I'm sorry, that is the issue. You know, Martin is trying to take a bullet for the team, and I appreciate it, but, you know, that's an eight or a 10-spot swing. You you know, now listen, is an eighth Martin Trix junior-esque at Darlington? No, absolutely not that's what Martin's talking about. It's easy to say the loose wheel, which is what I just did. But what I heard from Martin was, yes, but the truth is, if we wouldn't have made these mistakes in practice, if I would have been more vocal about something being wrong with the car, if we as a group would have done a better job of diagnosing those issues and maybe repairing the car, or it made it sound like they had a mechanical issue. Nate, is that kind of how you read into it? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, like that
0: there was a suspension thing that they that should have yeah. been fixed in one. So
1: listen, I didn't ask him what was bent. I thought that's a little inappropriate during the playoffs. So, but, but if you read through the tea leaves and the quotes, something was amiss, not on purpose, right? Either damaged or bent that they didn't find until after the race. The car was never up to the 19 kind of expectation. So, okay, ho-hum, race one. That's why you have a great regular season. But why do we say anything can happen? Why do the fans fill up the stands at Kansas? Why do you have to turn on your TV every weekend? Because he starts okay. First corner, Dale Jr. says it. Something's wrong with the 19. He's sinking through the field. Our director, Sean Owens, puts a camera on him in corner after corner. He is six or seven miles an hour off in the middle of the corner. And then Jeff Burton said it there's no way they missed the balance this far they have to have an issue with the car going into turn three the right rear goes flat into the fence day over goodyear examines the tire a puncture in the center of the tire there is nothing the 19 car team crew chief could have done assuming the part didn't fall off and go under their right rear tire which i don't believe is what happened there's nothing they could have done to prevent what happened at kansas that's how we got here that's what makes darlington so important and now how do we go from here we'll list think about the uphill task in front of them. First of all, I think Martin can win about anywhere. But if you look at his tracks, Bristol is not at the top of tracks he's had the most success on. It's been a long time since he's had a good run. And when I look at the guys in front of him, the drivers he must find, he has to find seven points on Kevin Harvick. It would be way better if they were going to a high-speed track where Toyotas dominate. They're going to Bristol. Kevin Harvick has great history there. 12 points on Joey Logano, if that's who he wants to outrun. Joey Logano at Bristol runs wonderful. 13 points on Christopher Bell. Well, man, okay, so we're not going to New Hampshire. No, we're going to go to Christopher Bell's second best racetrack in his career, which is Bristol. Or Chris Busher. Oh, wait, wait, where did RFK get their first win? Oh, yeah, Chris <laughs> Busher at Bristol. The only other yep. time we've run on the high banks of the concrete track. It's not the dirt version. This is a, one a year, once-a-year event. It is a daunting task. Now, let me add in. That last year we saw chaos, we saw steering failures. We saw a lot of things with the new car that I'm not convinced are gone. I'm not convinced the gremlins are gone. I don't feel feel that the gremlins have been tested. And we're gonna find out what organization in the last 12 months has gone to work and said, hey, we can't have steering issues. We can't have this. Remember, I got Toyota 2311, a bunch of guys had steering issues. I know a lot of work's gone in, uh, but I'm not sure... So Bristol is, is, you know, we talk about the test of the man and the machine, and we talk about, you know, whether it's the Rolex or, or uh, Le Mans, it's 24 hours, and we talk the Southern 500 because it's, it's the track too tough to tame. Well, let me tell you, it's the light, last great coliseum for a reason, and that's because we see great battles between drivers, but the thing we don't talk about is that car is going to battle 1,000 corners, right, 1,500 laps. So say we have 400 green flag laps, that's 800 times your car has to go into the highest banking on the circuit at a short track and load that right front and put pressure through that steering arm. I don't know. (laughs) We've had mysterious vibrations like, I should think this playoff issues
0: is going to be a laundry list. I think it's going to be a mile long after Bristol. More of the same that we saw in the first two rounds. So, you know, I always love getting your crew chief perspective, Stevie, because like, you've, you've done it. You've been in these situations. If you're James Small, you know James Small well. Like, What do you tell Martin Truex Jr.'s team? What do you tell Truex about how you approach 500 laps at Bristol? Like you said, he's got to get seven points on guys like Logano and Harvick. How do you do it? How do you process that? Because you're right. This team can win anywhere, but you can't get too in your head about it, right? Go down swinging. Don't be a victim. Don't walk into Bristol saying, oh, woe is us.
1: We had a flat tire. Woe (laughs) is us. We had a bad Darlington. And that's not what this team's going to do. I mean, James Spall, I sat down with him at Daytona on the eve of winning the regular season championship. We talked about his history from Australia, winning the Bathurst 1000, the same race that his father had won before. You know, we talked about getting on a plane with everything you own in a box and flying to the U.S. to take a job in NASCAR. Like, this is one race, one playoffs. Martin Truex Jr. and James Small went through the darkest of days a year ago when they didn't make the playoffs and couldn't win a race. And I think for that reason, they're prepared for this moment. Will they advance? Like, I don't know. This is the racing, the 16 competitors and the teams will determine it. That's what's going to happen. Now, remember, there's other you know, whatever it is, 18 guys out there or whatever the math says, you know, 20 other guys out there that are gonna help determine this, which makes it a little more difficult. But don't be a victim, man. Like Pull your bootstraps up and show up at Bristol and control your own opportunity. If you live there saying, well, we needed Harvick to do this or Lagana to do this, then shame on you. Go there, stand toe to toe and blacken their eyes. I mean, that's what you need to do. That would be the motivation I would give my driver. Truex is a champion. He's seen it all. And I will say this, if they do advance, look out. Because if they advance, they get those 30-something points back, and I will tell you, it will be like a second wind you have not seen. If Martin Truex Jr. advances, look out. There is no telling the hot streak. I do believe they're going to have this second life of shame on us, no more. And it is going to be all eyes forward. I think they're going to be really, really tough to beat for the championship if they can just stay in the playoffs, as crazy as that may sound.
0: No, it doesn't sound crazy. It's like, hey, we survived the knockout punch. We were staggered. But if we make it out of this round now, now we can beat anything, right? And listen, I think
1: the playoff field knows it. Yeah. Let's be honest. So I have taken part in these playoffs. If I am even Denny Hamlin who won't say it because he's his teammate, or if I'm Kyle Larson, or if I'm William Byron, if I'm, I'm going down the points, Keslowski, Blaney, Kyle Bush. All right, so we lost McDowell. Man, you know, great run for McDowell. Stenhouse, he's going to run good at Bristol. I don't know what would happen. Bubba Wallace, Kansas, flat tire. You know, we could go through this things. But if you lose any of these, I'll give you a list. Truex, Harvick, Logano, Bell. I mean, that's the bubble drivers. Whew, you're feeling good about eliminating one of those guys in the first round.
0: One more thing on Truex, because I saw some notes on this on social media, Stevie, and want to get your rulebook perspective. So NASCAR towed Truex's car to the garage, effectively ending his race instead of letting him go to the pits and letting him fix the flat tires or whatever. The explanation given was because he was in a wreck. He was on the DVP clock, the damaged vehicle policy clock. Um, and it wasn't the case where he was just stranded because of flat tires with no contact. That, that was the reason that he was taken to the garage because it, it resulted from hitting the wall. Is that what you understood?
1: Yeah, look, let's not make this black and white because if we make it black and white, it's going to be your driver that gets out of the race next. NASCAR is trying to use some common sense here and say, look, here, let's talk about the rules. Assuming you can drive your car back to pit road, you have seven minutes to fix your race car. The only thing you're allowed to change on pit road is a tow link. If you have a broken upper, or a broken lower, you go to the garage anyway, you're done. You can cut parts off, you can't put new parts on. There's a few exceptions with the deck lid and a few things, but the idea is that cars that can still continue to be competitive can continue in the race. That is the idea of the DVP. Now we have this new car, we split out flat tires, and they are willing to say, okay, this is dumb. We cannot expire a car because <laughs> he has four flat tires. This is not the spirit of the rule. This is something that's on NASCAR's to-do list. But, oh, well, between, I don't know, safety of the car and short track racing and everything else we're trying to fix, four flat tires hasn't been the number one thing. So NASCAR said, hey, we're going to shove you back to the pit box. We'll start your DVP. You can start to work on your car. Once again, we don't want perfectly good race cars out of the race. Look, the 19 was wrecked. The thing was junked. The right front was busted off it. I'm sorry. That didn't. That well, wasn't a car that spun out that should have been brought back to their pit stall. No. If you hit the wall and you can't drive back to the pit stall, then you're out of the race. That's way different than, and I'm okay. Now, look, this is my point about let's not make this black and white. If you spin and you nudge the wall, push him back to the pit stall. I mean, let's use some common sense. Truex drove into turn three at 155 or 60 miles an hour. The right rear tire went flat. It smashed the right front end of the wall and it bent a whole bunch of stuff. So in seven minutes in the pit stall, could they have done something? Maybe. So what? And you wrecked, like you wrecked. You didn't spin out avoiding a wreck. You didn't spin out on your own with flat tires. You wrecked. It's over. It's a great talking point, but but I, uh, I had to get Russell. You know, our man Russell in the booth was like president of the Martin Truex Jr. Fan Club, that <laughs> man Russell. And he was waving his hands over there in the booth. Oh man, they're supposed to bring to him the, to the pit box. And I'm like, no, they should bring the driver to the infield care center with the car to the garage. It's done. And he kind of looked at me all sad and disappointed. I understand the argument because it isn't black and white, but I do think NASCAR in general is, is doing their best to manage
0: it. And I had the same reaction. Like when I saw it, it's was like, well, he's done.
1: And Martin doesn't know, listen, I don't want to put this on the driver, right? He, so he's on the radio yeah, trying to make something of his day. And James Small is on the radio. We'll bring him back here so we can look at Like, I don't even blame the team. Yeah. Like, I would have been politicking and I'd be mad you didn't bring it to me. But I am telling the listener and I feel like I have no problem calling true balls and strikes in these situations. This one's not on NASCAR. Like, they wrecked. They couldn't get back to their pit stall. It didn't not get back to the pit stall because it had a flat. You know, it, it was it was wrecked.
0: And like you said, he's par- he's getting one point either way, no matter what I happens, even blocks. if they fix it. Yeah, Maybe yeah.
1: he gets a point or two, which could matter. I'm not saying it's not going to matter. What I'm saying is not about the points. What I'm saying is he was expired from the race, in my
0: opinion. Yeah. So race comes down to final restart and overtime. Tyler Reddick makes a great move uh, to win the race. Uses the inside, you know, usually we see, we're always talking about Tyler Reddick riding that wall. This was a, a really impressive dive to the apron, essentially, to, to win this race. But in addition to that, we also had all these strategy calls that set up this finish. Tyler Reddick's on four tires, but a lot of guys benefited from two. Joey Logano, I think, namely being one. I know Rodney Childers was... Second guessing whether Harvick should have taken two. They went with four. What did you make of everything that, that happened, Stevie, leading up to that final restart and the final restart? So Butcher gets
1: a flat. Um, now it's decision time. Suarez stays out from like 26th. He ended up netting 10 spots. As much as I love my man Travis Mack, I, the, the call still scares me because you can easily get caught up in a wreck, but it did gain in 10 more spots. So call is what it was at that point. You mentioned it, Joey Logano took two tires, the 43 took rights, the eight took rights, a bunch of guys took four. And I think most everyone made the right call for their car, right? Joey Logano needed to find some track position, let's take two. Joey Logano was a monster restarter. There were some quotes from Paul Wolf after that says, hey, he, his strength's are restarts, so let's put him on two tires and try to make something happen. I love the 43's call. They're not in the playoffs. They're like, hey, man, let's put some two tires on this thing and try to win the race. You know, I thought there was a lot of really interesting decisions there everything went about like i thought until danny hamlin was sleeping i don't you know and he even said it this thing he said hey i was looking in my mirror because the five was laying back so you lay back to time the restart so the idea is if i'm five feet off your bumper nate or 10 feet off your bumper and we get into the zone you're running 50 miles an hour i'm running 50 i'm now going 51 51 and a half 52 and you accelerate when the fans say, well, why does that matter? Well, our cars are going to accelerate really, really similar. So if I start two miles an hour faster than you, I'm two miles an hour faster than you for most of the front stretch, and I'm going to jump out to your outside. Denny knew Larson was trying to do that. So he's managing the car in front and the car behind, and he gets caught looking in his mirror. And he's two car lengths off the car in front of him, and he gets caught just sleeping. And the restart goes, and Denny is late to the gas, and he gets passed by Larson anyway, And now he's not on the offensive, the car I thought was in position to win the race. Third row, outside, fresh tires. He's gonna rim ride and be rolling. Instead, it was the 45 of Kyle Reddick who chose after Hamlin and Larson, chose the bottom to move up those rows. You know, we talk a lot about what rule changes affect the outcome. The choose rules. You know, I don't think we talk about it enough. This wasn't forever. Like Jeff Gordon and Dale Senior won championships with single file restarts, lap down cars on the inside. And then we moved into double-file restarts, which then uh, definitely made it more exciting. And I was there when Mark Martin lost his mind. And he was like, if I start outside row one in Indianapolis, I'm going to lose the the brickyard running second. And he's not wrong. I'm like, yeah, you're right, Mark. You don't have a chance if you start on the outside. (laughs) And we did double-file for a little bit. And then NASCAR comes up with this idea. And and they're kind of like, well, then we'll just let the drivers choose. In my head, I was like, you're going to let them do what? (laughs) But in the end, it's simply perfect. They're like, well, what does it matter? Why should we decide what they line up? We'll let them. You know, we see it in legend car racing. We see it late models. Like, hey, man, you pick what you want, inside or outside. The, the rule really has been uh, pretty interesting. It, 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 You know, there was a little controversy, not controversy, but talking points early that people hit the box and they went to the back. And, you know, the drivers have got that all figured out. Some weeks, the choose gets the field a little stacked up. I mean, it's not simple. This week at Bristol, like, we might miss some restarts because we might have to run an extra lap to get the field lined up. But this is it, right? There's no chance Tyler Reddick wins this race without a choose. It like, ain't happening. He's a whole nother row back. Like, he doesn't get there. So I think the choose is amazing. And Tyler Reddick, I may mean, just put a great restart on him.
0: Goes from seventh to first, wins the race. That's interesting what you're saying about the choose, though. I hadn't really thought about it until you said it that way, that, yeah, it's probably something we don't talk enough about. And. Are teams talking about it maybe more than we realize? Uh, you know, th- the way that they debrief with drivers and oh. they put so much effort into data and metrics. Are, are they giving them information and preparing them in ways we don't realize? So here's a very simple one. People say, who's a good restarter? My follow-up
1: question is, well, what's a restart? And everybody says, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, is the restart from the green flag through one lap? And everybody goes, like, oh, yeah, it's the restart. So like, well, what about the choose? And everybody, they, they keep looking at it like I'm cross-eyed. I'm like, no, wait a minute. This just hold on a minute. You roll off pit road in X position, we'll say fifth. Well, now you're fifth. You're the fifth place car. So my opinion, the restart is from that moment to maybe one or two laps after racing. Well, that involves where you decide to line up. Because look, you'd be the best restart in the world. But if you always, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not the best restarter. You're just the best guy at knowing what lane you need to be in. Or maybe you're the best restart in the world. And it looks awful because you're too silly to know what lane you need to be in. We're like, let's confuse the skill set or, you know, let's separate the skill sets. There is the skill set of saying, I understand the restart. I understand the drivers around me. I understand who's good around me. I understand who's on no tires and two tires. And like we're talking, there's a lot of layers in this decision. So there is this decision that a driver doesn't have to make on his own. He's on the radio. People are, you know, now we're going to drop the green flag. And while the driver's not doing it on his own, we have the spotter and the car setup and all this stuff. I believe in the day of engineering, still the most artistic, beautiful thing is the restart, because it isn't about air. I mean, it is about air and all that, but it's way less about where your car's set up versus where your driver puts it. It's the last moment in racing where it's like, where does a driver earn the money to buy a jet through turns one and two at Kansas, wide open on a restart? That's where it happens. <laughs> and it, so, so like the, the quote, "Restart, Tyler Reddick." He's the same talented driver, but if they would have had him line up behind the five, I don't think he wins this race. Yeah. So the restart process now, it, it involves the choose. It involves a lot of things.
0: Yeah, and uh, definitely like all those crew chief decisions as well. Um, you can check out Dustin Longstory on NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. He's got the quote Steve was talking about there, Paul Wolfe, Rodney Childers weighing in on, on all of the decisions that were made. But let's talk about Larson for a minute, Stevie, because like you mentioned, he affected certainly Hamlin on that last restart because he had the best car the five one stage one it was dominant until this strategy decision with I think about a hundred to go where and after that it was just kind of all catch up is that sort of where it well went so
1: you got to flip it so what happened was Akasha came out and the nine and the five elect to not take tires so what happens is, is the limit of tire sets uh, had eight sets in the pits we had enough yellows that You start to get that pit in your stomach feel where you're like, man, you know, we got a couple yellows in that final stage. I'm not sure we're going to have enough tires. We need to have enough tires. So there was a handful of laps on their tires. So they said, we're going to stay out. And that was really the turning point. Then the five chooses the top and does not get the restart he needs, loses control of the race and plummets back to like 20th. Chase Elliott on the same strategy leads. All the way until like two to go in the stage uh he actually finished third in stage two so on the same call running right next to the five he finishes third kyle larson finishes 19th so 16 spot gap and this is what i think makes the five dangerous the radio from cliff that's on me we should have took tires i was too worried kyle larson Well, I hear your point, but I didn't do us any favors. I chose the top. I shouldn't have chose the top. I put us behind. Small details, both decision makers of this team taking ownership of their hand in the issue. Larson didn't say, yeah, you screwed me. And Cliff Daniels didn't say, well, great damn restart. You killed the strategy. They both looked in the mirror and said, I could have done something different. Uh, I think they're both right. I didn't love the call staying out on tires because I thought you could have took those scuffs and put them away and put them on later in the race. But, you know, that's because I can say it now because the race is over. I not know how it worked out. You know, in the moment, I didn't like it either. Just, I don't know. I felt like we were going to getting a long run, but it's a coin flip. It really is a coin flip. Now, what I will say is that it was fun to watch because then we had a caution like three laps into the stage two and they or excuse me, stage three. And he goes, i am gonna put some tires on and just see what you can do. And it was fun because he drove that thing from 26th to 15th in about two laps. And it ended up being, until the final yellow, it was the start of the long green flag run. And I actually thought Larson had a chance to recover and come all the way up and win the race. It would have been a recovery of the ages. But that is where the five lost
0: control of the race was the, the decision to you know, not take tires and then not a great restart. I'm glad you brought up the demeanor of Larson and Daniels because I noticed that as well in the interview uh, that Larson did with Dave Burns after the race where this is his third season at Hendrick Motorsports. You know, he's a champion, uh, certainly a championship favorite this year, but it seems like we've seen a different Larson, especially this year. And the way he and Daniel sort of relate to each other, react with each other. I mean, I'm I'm sure partially it's just Larson's older. He's more mature. He's been doing racing for his entire life and he's into his thirties now, but it does seem as if he takes more ownership and he's not the guy, you know, he's not the kid at Ganassi from 10 years ago who sometimes would kind of give you this air of that he just sloughed things off and maybe he didn't care. There's a sense of accountability and responsibility here. And I think some of that is Daniels, but I think some of that is, is just Larson being a different driver at Hendrick.
1: That, and it's some, something to do with the year that they've had. I mean, when you go back and you look at the championship year, if it had four wheels and a steering wheel, he in it. He's as talented as he was this year, and the cars he's driving, I think, are as Dang, I'm not as good as they were that year, except it is truly hit or miss. Not all their own doing, but the five car is either lights out wins or disappears. So so Kyle Larson's fifth, I have my notes here somewhere, you know, when you look at the number of races he runs from like 3rd to 10th, it's not as many as you would think, right? And it got better, but if you look at the beginning of the year, right? He has two wins early, And up until race 14, you know, he has two wins, two seconds, a fourth, and every other race was outside the top 10 because it's either we're great or we're bad. Now, if you look at the second half of the year, right, really starting at Gateway uh, and then heading into the off week after Sonoma, you see fourth, eighth, fifth, fourth, another 36, third, a couple of bad races, fifth, eighth. And what I'm saying is they are they matured to, hey, it can't be all or nothing. You know, we unload to win the race. We practice to win the race. We qualify to win the race. We start the green flag to win the race. But when the race gets away from you, either your own doing or somebody else's, at some point you have to say, how are we going to have the best race? We can't keep swinging for the, which is kind of funny because the guy that wrecked him at Darlington, (laughs) Ross Chastain, said the exact same thing to me in media day. He said, hey, my mistake at Darlington wasn't just running into the five and wrecking. He goes, what happened is I had a winning car. I had damage. This is the spring Darlington race. And I couldn't accept that I didn't have a winning car. I just didn't even, you know, that grinder that Ross is, he wouldn't even let it enter his mind. And he drove the thing like it was still a winning car, overdrove it, wrecked the five. So, you know, interesting, because we all talk about, hey, you wrecked the five, we were you over your head? You know, we look at this, this moment in time and what Ross is like, you know, that's fair, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was, Well, you know, 20, 50, 100 laps earlier when we had damage, I had to reset and say, "Okay, hold on. What am I driving? now? I'm not driving the same car I was that had winning speed and I have to do a better job. Then he did exactly that. Darlington in the playoffs, drove up to fifth or sixth with a car that wasn't very good early. And he kind of did the same thing at Kansas. You know, he was good. He was fourth in stage one. They have the penalty 24th in stage two. And he comes back to 13th. And for that reason, he's 18 points going to Bristol. You know, Ross Chastain from the beginning of this year, no, nope, no chance. He's 18 points up. Nope. he just Darlington would have gone astray, and Kansas would have gone sideways. Like, like he's maturing, and I think we see that out of Larson as well. Uh, there's no doubt the guy could push the pedal down. It's when things go good or bad. You know, how do they recover? Now he tested it because he rode the fence all the way in one of two one time, but. You know, it's not egregious at Kansas. Like, he's up there four inches off the ball making lap time. Like, I don't think that's a huge mistake. He wasn't the only guy to hit the fence. How about that?
0: No, no, definitely not. And, uh, I mean, you're right. Like, interesting what Ross Chastain told you at Playoff Media Day. Larson was saying the same thing at Playoff Media Day about how he feels as if the car has had as much as much speed as it did in 21 when he won the championship. I think they won five regular season races in 21. It's just this year, as you said, it's been so feast or famine, even with a car as fast He only won two races in the regular season, of course, open the playoffs with the Darlington win this time has advanced. I want to talk about Bristol, but before we get there, let's just uh, put a bow on Larson had an interesting incident Stevie with his teammate, Chase Elliott last pit stop. They're coming out of the pits. Brad Keselowski coming out as well. He squeezes Larson a little bit. Larson hits Elliott. Elliot expresses some displeasure, uh, it appeared, although he sort of was asked about it afterward, and Chase Elliott said, no, we're all good. Larson said, I just, try, I tried to leave as much space as I could. Obviously, I, I made contact with him, but I felt like if I didn't, I was going to clobber the six, you know, right in the right front, and um, you know, I thought the safest bet for all of us was for me to, you know, squeeze out a little bit, so. I understand why he's mad or was mad in the moment. I hope when he sees a replay, he understands that I didn't have any space um, or you know, not much, you know, just inches. So, um, yeah, just a, a bummer. But uh, I'm glad that neither of us got tore up there and we could you know get a get a good finish. Where do you think things stand here? I mean, is it put to bed? I mean, because this isn't the first time that Larson and Chase have sort of had their issues on track. I think
1: it's put to bed, and I'd love to see it out of Chase. You know, I wondered if the guy who missed the playoffs – I don't want to say, I'm never going to say he's not there to win because I believe Chase straps in to try to win. But when you are a winning driver and a champion and you get eliminated from the playoffs, it would be a major lie to think that it doesn't change your approach. You don't have the same whatever it is. You know, use whatever analogy you want, but he doesn't have the same opportunity in front of him as he does the 16 playoff drivers that's fact he cannot be a champion this year which is his goal which was his goal in february so he has said since returning from injury he has been very consistent that we need to win he has never talked about points we need to win you guys in the media talk about points i've said we need to win i thought it was a good distraction and deflection earlier maybe he saw what we didn't want to see Maybe he said, if we can't win, it doesn't matter because we're going to have to win in the playoffs. So I say all that because what I saw at a chase was a weekend where he was in the winning picture and the fire was still there. You know, the fire was still, you know, he he, look, he didn't smash into the five. He didn't, you know, disrupt anybody's day. He showed his displeasure, which if I'm a chase fan, I feel good about the money I spent on that t-shirt. But (laughs) now I still see the fire of the driver who doesn't give you a lot of fire in his interviews and that's not his fault. He's been the same way his whole career, but he, you know, he's not bubble like he's not going to get out and go through this range of emotion in an interview. That's just not chase. He does it behind the wheel. He always has. And I know it wasn't a win, but that little bit of swipe at the five, I know it seems small, but that told me if anyone thinks that the nine could care less about the playoff guys, I shouldn't say could care less. He shows them respect. But if he thinks if they anyone thinks he's gonna take a backseat to the playoffs or the backseat to a driver, no way. He's trying to win for him, for his team, for his crew chief. There's gonna be conversations about you know his owners and the owners championship. I think Chase Elliott, you know, yeah, he'd love to deliver more to him, but that's not what we're seeing. What we're seeing is a driver who wanted to be a race car driver since he was a little kid. He wanted to win races. He's won races, and you know what? Losing stinks. Like he's not having fun losing. I've done it a lot losing stinks what i saw was a fired up race car driver you know afterwards what we don't talk about is he walked right down and kind of stuck his head into the five car and they had a conversation and then he was fine in the media that tells me whatever they discussed they got the answers they were looking for and i think it's exactly what larson said hey man the six pulled out i had no i, I didn't mean to hit you but it was i was going to be the sandwich either way you know so look that's great I love it. I love the fire. You know, here's the difference between race car drivers and every other sport. The NFL started. We can see the emotion of an athlete on a field, even in a football helmet. We get fist pumps. We get whatever celebrations. We don't get that as much in NASCAR because the drivers are hidden from camera, even with our amazing in car cameras. Why we will sometimes see a hand gesture or things like that that's how they expressed themselves and that's I think all Chase was doing there if that was a football game
0: that heck that wouldn't even have been a that would have been a replay in the third quarter we forgot about yeah we love to see the emotion from the drivers and we saw some from Bubba as well I wouldn't say he was despondent but certainly a little bit dejected after he runs so well stage one was running second to Larson for much of the race going for his second straight win at Kansas in that fall race Bubba was but Ultimately, the tire dooms him, and now he enters Bristol, Stevie, 19 points below the cut line. Truex, Bubba Wallace, Ricky Stenoch Jr., Michael McDowell, all below the cut line. Let's end by sizing up Bristol, Bubba Wallace, his chances coming off that deflation of Kansas. And you you mentioned guys like chastain's 18 points above busher 13 points above christopher bell we've talked about him a little bit but he's only 13 points above let's talk about all of it uh so mcdowell's a must
1: win minus 40 i mean he's a long ways out it's going to be have to be a winning day for him uh the 47 Stenhouse, it has to be a winning performance that he might not need a win but i need winning performance first second third in each stage same thing at the end of the race you're looking at a You know, he's looking at a 45-ish point day, 42-ish, 47-ish point day if he wants to try to advance. Needs a little help from there. Bubba, uh, you know, he has never shown the Bristol swagger to find those 20 points. That doesn't mean people won't back up to him. And if he doesn't advance, that's okay. I said it about William Byron, and I have the same opinion about Bubba Wallace. What we're seeing is an evolution of a 29-year-old race car driver. He has to find his way emotionally to win races. He did that. Then he had to find emotionally his way through the regular season with all the focus of making the playoffs, he accomplished that. And I will actually say that from behind the wheel, I've been very impressed. I thought he did a really nice job at Darlington, and he was driving a top-four car at Kansas, and he had a flat tire. And his interview, you could see, was a little, like, call it noisy emotion. I'm not sure he could process it all, and he was trying to be happy for his teammate while he was gutted for himself, and that's okay. Okay. And he's figuring that out. But if Bubba doesn't advance, there's a lot learned in the last seven or eight weeks of this NASCAR season that's going to make Bubba Wallace a way better driver next year. Twenty three eleven is poised for a great future. They got a new building being built, Radicott Victory Lane. Bubba learning what it's like to be in the postseason. I think that's a spectacular move. I really think it comes down to those three, I guess, in a nickel version. I don't see him making it. I won't say it's impossible, but it's an uphill battle. I will say it really comes down to me. It's Truex, Harvick, Logano, Bell, Busher, Chastain. That's the big number. But sometimes the most dangerous place to be is to be where Kyle Busch or Ryan Lane is. and That is, you should make it. Sometimes the shoulds are the hardest, right? Sometimes the most epic, you know, collapses in sports is the fourth quarter that you just quit playing defense or the, or that, man, I got a two-stroke lead on the 18th hole, so I'm going to do something different than I did the last 71 holes that got me to this lead, and you basically get off strategy right, right out of a, a winner's circle. So if I am – you asked me about, hey, what would you be if you were Martin Drex Jr.? Well, let's flip it. If I'm Randall Burdett, i am be like, you're Kyle Bush at Dan Bristol. What are we doing? I would actually take the approach that I heard from Cliff Daniels after the win, which is we don't have enough playoff points. I want to win. If I am Randall Burnett, I'm like, I'm not even thinking about getting through. We're through. We aren't good enough to win a championship. We need five more playoff points. Like I'd be poking my guy in the chest, being like, you came here, you're the man. I've watched you sweep weekends up here. I don't if you start counting points, we're gonna have a major problem. Like I would totally flip this conversation. And I, I've never seen a defensive Kyle Bush be worth a damn at all. <laughs> An offensive Kyle Bush is I'm talking unbelievable, right? Nobody questions his raw talent. I would be on it, like I would be on him this week, saying, "I want a trophy, about the playoffs. I want that Bristol trophy," and (laughs) and that would be the motive. I mean, I would be on him this week because protecting worst two words in a football game, prevent defense. You know, so that it's going to be interesting. It's going to be great. And here's the other thing: it's going to happen like that. Sixteen second laps. (laughs) Pay attention. I will tell you. That's a day I love to do TV and man, they test us because we stand high above that high bank track and it is like information overload because it forget the screens or timing and scoring. The reason it's one of the best tickets in sports is because you look down and it is, whoever said it was, you know, fighter pilots in a jet bowl, they're right. And it's everywhere. And being early in the playoffs with 16 of them, they are everywhere. They have a the whole track covered. So uh big test for us in the booth. Real big test for our man, Sean, picking the cameras down in the truck, and a real big test for the competitors.
0: Yeah, there's nothing like 500 laps. Saturday night, Bristol Motor Speedway, you can catch it, NASCAR on NBC coverage, Steve Wittart and the whole team. Thanks for being here, man. Enjoyed it. Absolutely. It was a great time. Hey, you had to get up early on the West Coast.
1: You know, hey, we had to, you know, all the way out there on the peninsula, but (laughs) safe travels home.
0: Our thanks again to Steve Litchhart for joining us on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Thanks to Motorsports Manager Emily Conboy for setting up this episode. You can watch the video episode of the podcast on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel, and also find more NASCAR America MotorMouths content and highlights from across the racing spectrum. That's on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. The NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series will be at Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend. You can head to NBCSports.com NASCAR for all the information and schedules on how and when to watch. That's at NBCSports.com NASCAR. But the Cup race that Stevie and I talked about, first round cutoff race, Saturday night at Bristol Motor Speedway, 7 p.m. Eastern is when coverage will begin on Saturday USA Network is where to find it. You don't want to miss it. 500 laps at Bristol Motor Speedway to determine the 12 drivers who will advance to the second round of the Cup Series playoffs. That's again, Saturday night, 7 p.m. Eastern on USA Network from Bristol Motor Speedway. If you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send it to me at Nate Ryan. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantel chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus Chews.